0: We know that in the 15th and 16th centuries, so called witches were being hunted and executed like it was going out of style. For the most part, from the cases that I've studied, most of these witches were pretty innocent people. Well, innocent of the black magic that they were being accused of. Oftentimes, those who were accused appear to be the village weirdo, the promiscuous wife or the member of society who'd suddenly gained a lot of money and became the cause of envy. In essence, if there was something about your character that warranted some negative attention, chances were you'd have been accused of being a witch, especially if you were a woman. Accusations of witchcraft were often a death sentence and while some were successfully proven otherwise, many were immediately subjugated to extreme forms of torture, in order to extract a confession. As we've seen in many of these cases, many would simply make up some profound or convincing enough story that implicated themselves as witches, if only to make the torture stop. After all, these victims were usually hanged or burned anyway, so after such extreme torture, it's no wonder they spouted such fantastical stories about magic, demons, and sorcery. However, in some rare instances, there were workarounds for the witch being interrogated. We've seen in the case of Tichuba, who, using her cultural background and foreign accent, was able to spin such convincing tales that she was able to spare her own life in exchange for identifying other witches for the state. Tichiba would speak of Satan's list, a list she had claimed to have seen which detailed the names of all the witches in the land and because the authorities were so compelled by her account, they kept her alive as an informant. But Tichiba never did rat out any other woman on the accounts of witchcraft and would proceed to feign blindness and stall until her eventual release. But whilst this is a more benign and perhaps heroic tale of a witch in such a position, one who tricked the authorities and stalled them long enough, there does exist an account of a witch who did the same, but instead of stalling the authorities with falsehoods and excuses, chose to condemn others to a fate worse than her own. Her name was Margaret Eitken, and she was the Great Witch of Bowery. Very little is known of the woman Margaret Eitken, other than that she lived in the parish of Abbotshall, in the small hamlet of Balwerie, in the Scottish region of Fife. The details of her birth are unknown, but we understand from her apparent death that the events of her life took place in the very late 16th century, during the reign of none other than everyone's favourite superstitious king, James V. It is understood that his bizarre paranoid mind was playing up again at some point in 1539. It is recorded that he had a nightmare that William Scott, the Lord of Balwerie, who had a son named Thomas, had come to visit him with an entourage of demons. Now there doesn't appear to be much in the way of context for this dream and no one can say for sure whether or not William Scott or his son had any dealings in the dark arts, that would warrant King James' suspicions, but far be it for King James to ignore something as totally concrete and legitimate as a dream. Of course, one idea is that Balweary had already developed something of a reputation as being a site of many mystical goings on and that King James read into this dream as confirmation that something was indeed happening at this small hamlet. Legendary tales of Michael Scott, the Scottish Wizard, had long since permeated the landscape of the Northern Isles and accounts like these would only help develop a stigma about the place for the supernatural and the occult. However, despite King James's heightened awareness of Bowery, he would die long before Margaret Eitken was convicted of her dastardly crimes. Unfortunately, very little is known about how Eitken came to be accused of witchcraft at all, But instead, most of the focus goes towards how she went about avoiding accusation, or at least avoiding extreme torture, that would soon follow her conviction. Instead of denying the claims of her sorcery, as one would think to do under these circumstances, Aide can confess to them, but also shared with the authorities a tantalising aspect of her powers, one that could serve them if they allowed it she told them that she could identify other witches by looking for a special mark in their eyes, a mark that only she could see. By this point in time, James VI was in power and after learning of her unique ability, chose to postpone torturing her and commissioned her instead. At some point during this reprieve, Eitken was led into town by the authorities, where she would proceed to point out those who she believed were witches. Once more, little is known about her thought process during this time and whether her condemning of others was an act of randomness to spare her own life or an act of revenge, targeting those who had accused her of being a witch in the first place. Even less is known about the actual process of her determining of witches and whether it was just a simple case of her looking into her victim's eyes and deciding yes or no. The authorities were happy to play ball and considering that she was said to have known over 2,000 witches in the Scottish Highlands, they appeared eager to follow her lead. Some accounts suggest that Icon was responsible for the uses of swimming tests in Scotland, for they appear to have taken place here in no other time. The swimming tests usually consisted of dumping an accused witch into the open water, sometimes fastened with a bible since witches were thought to have declined being baptised, it was believed that the water would reject their body and prevent them from drowning. So by this bulletproof logic, an innocent person would sink, but a witch would float upon the surface. Through these tactics, anyone who could actually swim was denied their innocence and punished as a witch things only intensified when Aitken made her way out of the Highlands and into Glasgow. Here, the minister John Cowper took her word as the absolute gospel, and despite being a self-proclaimed witch herself, saw nothing amiss about condemning other innocent women on her say-so. You can only imagine the cycle of events here that would come to only validate Aitken's claims and abilities, for the women that she accused would then be tortured, and through this sheer agony would admit to being witches, thus proving Eitken as authentic. These women who Eitken condemned alongside John Cowper were horrendously tortured for the crime of witchcraft, a crime they would of course confess to. Shortly after their confessions, they were executed. It cannot be ascertained how many women died because of Margaret Eitken's involvement, but legends have it that it would have been in the hundreds. But karma would soon catch up with the Witchfinder, and justice was soon to be served. For one woman, an active resistor of the witch hunts advocated by John Cowper, was about to blow the whistle on Margaret Eichen. Her name was Marion Walker, and legends suggest that she was pissed off. Little is known about Marion Walker other than that she was a widow, surely not a rich woman, or a woman who had much in the way of political influence, but a woman with a voice that could be heard, a dangerous thing at the time, all things considered. Walker had already been vocal against Cowper's association with the witch hunts, and as a Protestant minister, Walker detested him even more, having thought to have been a Catholic herself. But the dispute between the two appears to have been less about religion and more about the injustices that Calper and the authorities were allowing to happen, as they unleashed their phony witch hunter in Margaret Icon upon Glasgow. Marion Walker became the voice of the voiceless, in a sense, and fought for the freedom and the justice of those who had been wrongfully imprisoned under these terms. It would appear that when Margaret Icon had originally been accused of witchcraft, she had admitted somewhere down the line that her powers were false. This would lead one to believe that Aiken had not come up with the ruse herself and that she had either conspired with the authorities to serve as a witch finder or that the authorities had forced her into this role in an effort to round up more of the guilty. But somewhere down the line, Marion Walker got a hold of some evidence, possibly an original documentation that detailed Aiken's Vachard and proceeded to distribute it far and wide. Walker's spreading of the truth gained so much traction that it would actually cause for a halting of Eitken’s purge, before the eventual annulling of her commission by King James. With the circulation of the truth bruited by Walker, there was only so long that Aitken could maintain her house of cards. In fact, all it took was the guile of a prosecutor who'd come to suspect Aitken as well. This prosecutor was said to have brought forth several of the accused witches who Aitken had deemed as guilty, only to bring them back the next day in different clothing, for Aitken to give a completely different verdict. This test would completely undermine her so-called abilities and reveal her to be the very thing that Marion Walker had preached, a fraud, a liar and most disturbingly, an asset of murder. On August 1st, 1597, she was taken back to Fife to stand trial, where she confessed that every claim that she had made was false, and that she had indeed condemned the innocent to death, also that she herself might live another day. She was shown no mercy for her admittance and was subsequently burned at the stake. The outcry over the Eichmann case was severe, and the authorities were red faced. If not, doing their best to sweep it all under the rug. In an effort to distance themselves from such a disaster, it should come as no surprise that there would not be another witchcraft panic of the sort for another 30 years. However, yet another interesting idea exists that Margaret Eitken had not been solely responsible for her guise as a witchfinder, and that her condemning of the innocent was actually the government's idea, in an effort to dissuade people from practicing the dark arts. With a witch finder on their side, a witch herself no less, it would certainly ward people off sullying their own hands with the devil's work and prevent them from ever going against the church. But of course, when Marion Walker blew the whole thing open, the authorities were quick to wash their hands of Aitken and sail her down the river. The people were so vehemently against her for what she had done, that they probably weren't going to believe anything she said anyway, even if she did turn around and point the finger at the government. can therefore may have been quickly silenced by the authorities so as to appease the public uproar and spare themselves some difficult and perhaps incriminating accusations of their own.